Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duckstream. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Thank you for tuning in for episode 67 from wherever you are coming to us from today. I'd like to start today's episode by sending our support and love to Ducks assistant coach Mike Stuthers, who announced over the weekend his recent diagnosis of stage three melanoma of the lymph node. I was in the room for the announcement, and it was an incredibly emotional moment, but also very powerful, especially because of the message that he shared that if you're not feeling good or something concerns you, don't wait. He wants to tell people to help others. It was inspiring to see his courage in sharing the news, and we are with you every step of the way, Stutz. The Anaheim Ducks keep plugging away on their road trip with a game against the Vancouver Canucks on Wednesday night and then the Calgary Flames on Friday before the team comes back home to Honda Center on Sunday night to host the Nashville Predators. Now that we're past the trade deadline, I'd like to give some updates on where the NHL league standings are at to this point of my recording. Beginning with the Metropolitan Division, the Carolina Hurricanes, a strong defensive team really making their case for how they could compete in the postseason this year. They've got a lot of depth as well. They are leading the Metropolitan, but right behind them, the New Jersey Devils at this moment. And then the New York Rangers also at the top there in the Metro. Next up, the Atlantic Division. Now, these three teams seem to be locked in at their current positions. The Boston Bruins at the top. Currently, 10-game win streak, 103 points. They just seem unstoppable. That's the only word I can think of when I think of the Bruins right now. The Toronto Maple Leafs are right behind them, and then the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have had some struggles in their play recently, but they do seem pretty locked in, so I'm not sure it's too much of a concern for them. Now, there are a number of teams that are up for that wild card spot in the Eastern Conference, really going to be competitive in this next month. So these are some of the teams that you can look out for. The New York Islanders, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Buffalo Sabres, the Ottawa Senators, the Florida Panthers, and then the Washington Capitals. That's a lot of teams that I just gave you, six in particular, but that's how many teams are going to compete for that final spot in the East, the final two spots, really, in the East. And then we move out to the Western Conference and start with the Central Division, and a lot of these teams are also very close. Only a few points are separating them. The Dallas Stars, the Minnesota Wild, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Colorado Avalanche. Now, Colorado has faced a lot of injuries all season, some adversity that they've had to work through, but they still did win the Cup last year for a reason, and they have a lot of those pieces as a part of the team still. So I'm expecting them to be competitive, especially in this final stretch, to make sure they do stay in that playoff picture. And then lastly, the Pacific Division. These teams have been on fire. The top teams that I'm going to mention here. The Vegas Golden Knights, the LA Kings, the Seattle Kraken, and the Edmonton Oilers. Now, there are a number of teams, like I mentioned, also in the West, in this case, that are up for that wildcard spot. In, in particular, looking at the points right now as I'm recording this, the Edmonton Oilers, the Colorado Avalanche, the Nashville Predators, 
and the Calgary Flames are those four teams that I'm keeping my eye on in the West. I think the West is a little bit more wide open than the East, but the hockey is just going to be so competitive over the next couple weeks. The Ducks in particular are going to have their hands full as some of the teams that they will be facing are trying to find their way into the playoff picture, especially as we have an eight-game homestand in the end of this month of March. But now let's go coast to coast to hear goal calls from around the NHL from Monday night's games, beginning with the Edmonton Oilers and Buffalo Sabres. Connor McDavid continues his incredible season when he set a career high in points during the Oilers three to two win over the Sabres on Monday night in Buffalo. He now has 124 points at this moment on the season, including 54 goals and 70 assists. Now he had two goals in the game against the Sabres, including the game winner in the third period, just three minutes and 23 seconds into that period. It was also his NHL leading ninth game winning goal of the season and his 62nd of his career. Just a historical season for McDavid, and it's only going to continue in these coming weeks. The Sabres did outshoot the Oilers, though, 39 to 37, but they remain just short of the wild card spot in the East at the moment. Chad Radio 6:30 a.m. has the call of McDavid's game winner. Up the left wing side and out to Fogel. Now into the Sabres zone to McDavid. He'll look to the net. His shot scores! Connor McDavid goes five hole, and the Oilers are up 3-2. It was a back and forth game between two competitive teams in the West, the Calgary Flames and Dallas Stars. Ultimately, the Flames getting a late 5-4 win on Monday. And the Flames did get out to a 2-0 lead, but Dallas fought back, including a goal from new member of the Stars, Max Domi, getting his first one with the team. But it was Tyler Toffoli with the Flames who closed out the game just 6.2 seconds remaining off a stretch pass from Jonathan Huberdeau at American Airlines Center to take the win. And this was an important one for Calgary, who are still five points back in the west of a wild card spot. Listen to the call of the goal from Derek Wills. Big hit by Weger, who clocks Haskinen, and I'll break the other way. Toffoli scores! Foley with 4.7 seconds remaining in regulation time scores on a breakaway and gives the Flames a 5-4 lead. And last up for today's goal calls, the Vancouver Canucks recovered for a shootout win at Rogers Arena against the Nashville Predators on Monday. 4-3 was the final score. Elias Pettersson scored his 30th goal of the season as a part of the first goal of the game after Andre Kuzmenko threaded a pass through to Pettersson in the zone. Later on, Pettersson would also lead his team by scoring the winner in the shootout, putting it past Predators' UC Saros in the net. Now the Ducks will be the next matchup for the Canucks this week. Brendan Batchelor has the goal call of Pettersson's first goal. Burrows passes to center for Bovillier. 
He tips it right wing for Kuzmenko, down low in the Nashville zone. Rink wide to the left circle for Patterson, waits and shoots! He hit the crossbar! It's singled in by the referee! The red light didn't go on, but Elias Patterson is given the Canucks a 1-0 lead before the five-minute mark of the first period with a laser of a wrist shot for the left circle. They'll check this one, but that was an elite goal by Elias Patterson. A good job by the Canucks to enter the zone, and Kuzmenko swings it around to Patterson who's given room, and that was your mistake, Nashville. You give this guy a little bit of room, and he can beat you, and it looks like, yeah, that went in. Off the crossbar, off the post first, and right below the crossbar, that is definitely a goal. But Cal Foote gave Elias Pedersen the room to take that shot, and he made him pay. Today's guest is a veteran in the sports industry. After many years covering hockey, Darren Drager joins us to talk through the recent NHL trade deadline and his perspective of the Ducks' future, and then the evolution of working as a hockey insider with the impact of social media. Take a listen. We welcome on to Light the Lamp now, TSN hockey insider Darren Drager. Darren, thank you for joining us today. How is your week going? You know, it's going okay. Uh, now that we've got the stress of the NHL trade deadline behind us, uh, my phone normally is glued to my ear or to my hand as I'm text messaging and doing everything that I have to do. But uh, even though we got hit with a ridiculous amount of snow, I woke up to like a foot and a half of snow <laughs> Saturday morning after the trade deadline. The exact last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. um, what was therapeutic about it was I put my phone on my kitchen counter went outside and cleared snow for about three and a half, four hours and didn't worry about whether or not there was a trade I should be <laughs> looking for or any of that nonsense. Well, that's good that you had somewhat of a distraction <laughs> at the end of it all. I mean, with this deadline, can you remember a year in any recent years where a deadline has been this active? Mm. Well, they're all pretty active, but, you know, involving the significant pieces that we saw go as early as the end of January when Bo Horvat got dealt by the Vancouver Canucks to the New York Islanders, I think this is a tough one to match, you know, because it didn't really slow down from, from that point. There was a bit of a lull there, but we had so many significant trades that happened well in advance of the trade deadline. So that was uh, potentially trend-setting. I'm okay with it if we go through it again next year. I, I just it's it's hard to predict what year by year it's it's going to look like, what the needs are of certain teams, you know, as you creep closer to the trade deadline. And I I feel like uh what what kind of gummed it up a little bit this year was you know all of the activity that's going on in, in both conferences in the standings. I mean, trying to define who's in versus who out, who's out as opposed, you know, I mean, you look at the bottom of the standings, you can see, you know, with all due respect to my good friends in Anaheim, the Ducks were likely going to be in selling mode. That was a pretty easy prediction to make. But there were some other teams that, uh, you know, we really didn't have a good handle on. I, you know, I think in Nashville, technically the Predators are still in the playoff picture, yet they sold some key elements. So I think those factors and that salary cap, right? Can't get away from it. So many teams uh, operating in long-term injury or right up against the cap. So I think there were a number of things that came into play that stretched it out a little bit more. Well, you have been in this industry for a number of years, and it's really changed a lot, I'm sure, over the years. But in what ways has the news breaking and all of that, have you seen that change, especially with the influence of social media? Well, that's where I would start. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think back 15 years ago, 
pre-Twitter, pre-social media, and we played by the rules to a point. <laughs> I mean, the, the spirit of compete was there, don't get me wrong. I mean, there were a few of us in, in the trade-breaking business, but, you know, we wanted to get it first. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what we do as, as, as journalists. <clears throat> but, you know, getting it first meant you, excuse me, <clears throat> you either reported it on radio if you had access to, you know, a sister radio station or something along those lines, or you reported it online, tsn.ca. Um, so now with uh, social me uh, media, you know, things have changed dramatically in how that information gets dispensed immediately. Mm -hmm. I, I can tell you back in the day, the number of phone calls I would get from angry general managers because we reported a player had been traded and they hadn't had the opportunity to tell that player yet. Mm. So the player is learning about it from people who are logged on and then they're calling family members or friends or worst case, the wives find out like it was, and we would get yelled at repeatedly because of that. And I had one uh, scenario and I won't tell you who the two teams were, mm -hmm. um, but the GM, one of the GMs was so angry that we reported this trade that was imminently happening day of trade deadline that he threatened to take the deal off the table. He wow. was, he was because he assumed that the information was coming from the other team. He was like, no, no. Okay. You guys want to play that way? Then we're taking the deal <laughs> off the table. Whereas now, I mean, if I break a trade, you know, the good people in this industry, Frank Saravalli, Elliot Friedman, I mean, go down the list. I mean, these guys are right there or I'm right behind them. So social media has changed everything. Do you think that teams and, you know, the staff with teams think about that at all when like the way social media has such a presence with this? They definitely do. Mm -hmm. They definitely do. And, um, you know, I'm trying to think of an example. There was one example this year. So let's say a week, 10 days ago where I broke a trade and well, I sat on that trade for probably about 90 minutes before I finally broke it. Mm -hmm. And the reason was, one of the pieces involved in the trade hadn't been informed yet. Hmm. Now, um, maybe a, a more feisty Darren Dreger 15 years ago might have pushed harder or dug a little bit deeper or found another source that you know could could give me the information that I needed to jump early. In this case, um, somebody I've dealt with for a long, long time asked me not to report it out of respect to that process, mm -hmm. and I I didn't. So. You know, it's just a, it's, it's a curious time, but I, I also think that, you know, and, and maybe in, in a lot of ways you can appreciate this, uh, teams do an excellent job now of managing their own information. So the content providers for each club, right, is on top of it. Right. And, you know, that used to bug me because I'm an insider. I'm <laughs> supposed to get this information. I, that's not fair if mm -hmm. the teams are just going to walk down the hall and tell their content people. <laughs> but I get it. And if I were a general manager or I were an NHL executive, I'd do the same thing. Why are we allowing, you know, these people in Toronto or other spots of the National Hockey League to to get our information out first? So that's also become some of the, the trickier things that we contend with. Well, when you look at what Anaheim did with the deadline, sending Klingberg and Kulikov out, um, yeah. what was your overall impression of how the Ducks were able to handle the deadline? Not surprised. I mean, those were the two men that I think all of us firmly expected were going to be traded. Uh, you know, I'm glad for John Klingberg. I am. And for Dimitri. I mean, they're both good people. Uh, you know, Klingberg, as you know, his season hasn't gone the way he was expecting or or hoping, but that doesn't mean it's a lost season either. 
And Billy Guerin is a gunslinger in Minnesota. And, and he's good at identifying players that maybe need a bit of a refresh, right? And, and he, he recognizes that going in and, and coming out as well. And I think Jordan Greenway going to the Buffalo Sabres, I mean, yeah, it's about relieving cap space in Minnesota, but giving a young player a different look and a different opportunity. I think Klingberg is going to be super motivated. I really do. And he's got better game ahead of him. And the Minnesota Wild are in a heck of a dogfight to lock down a playoff spot. Um, so I, I don't think that we were overly surprised. I guess, you know, the one thing that surprised me a little bit in, in staying on top of it as close as I, I do, mm -hmm. I was surprised there wasn't more trade interest in John Gibson. Mm. Um, just because... One of the first things we in, in hockey media question is goaltending. When goaltending starts to slip a little bit, or it's average or even below average for a playoff team. And then it becomes just such an easy storyline. And when you've got a piece, and, and look, I think the Ducks manage this appropriately. Uh, I never got the indication from anyone that I talked to outside of Anaheim that they were shopping John Gibson. Out of respect to a player like that, you don't but you're certainly willing to listen, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm a little bit surprised that a team didn't step up because in John, you get the pedigree, you get some cost certainty, um, the experience, all of that. So I guess, I, you know, to summarize the Anaheim Ducks, it's more about what they didn't do as opposed to mm -hmm. what they did do that might be a little bit surprising. And GM Pat Verbeek here has been building his assets and trade picks for the future. And the Ducks here, we also have a great prospect pool. So when you look at maybe the future for this team, what is your perspective of how that could play out for the organization? Well, it's it's going to hurt for a year or two more. And, and the only way to go through a rebuild and do it the right way is to go through the pain and the suffering. And, and that's what's happening now. And you know, then you wonder, okay, well, what if, you know, what if the Ducks win the lottery? What if they end up with Connor Bedard? Holy smokes. <laughs> I mean, that's a game changer for any team that's going into that lottery and actually has a chance at, at Connor Bedard. And imagine if you can, it's like a dream if you're a Ducks fan. You've got Bedard, you've got Zegras, and you've got Terry, and you've got <clears throat> Drysdale. You've got all these wonderful young assets that become your foundation. But you know, again, it's it's going to be trippy, tr tricky navigating for Pat Verbeek um, for the next couple of seasons. Uh, there's they've got to get some NHL players in there. You know, the challenge is always in the balance when you go through the rebuild. You have to keep the competitive, the environment as competitive as you can, so that those young players develop the right way, learn how to play the game the right way, and they get that from Dallas Aikens and the coaching staff. But you know, aside from winning the draft lottery. I, I think the off season is going to be a busy one for, Ver, for uh, Pat Verbeek and company. I know recently you had on your podcast with Ray Ferraro, Ryan Getzloff joins you back in January. <laughs> and I was curious on how that conversation went. So good. So good. <laughs> and, you know, Getzy I've known forever, right? Gets Saskatchewan mm -hmm. boy where I come from. So uh, pulls at my heartstrings. Um, you know, but he's old school and that's, you know, he's brought up the right way in, in the National Hockey League and that, you know, he's a, the ultimate teammate. Um, but I always felt like it was di difficult to crack through that shell. 
to get to where I needed to get to with Ryan Getzlaff. And he just, <laughs> he was never going to play that game. So at some point I just finally stopped trying. And then the Ryan Getzlaff that you'd see in the off season is quite a bit different than the guy that you'd see in uniform or in season, because again, he's, he's doing his job and he's a pro. Um, so it was fun to have that conversation that we had, you know, the talk of how close he came via trade to, to Vegas. I mean, we reported on it at the time, but to hear from, from his mouth that, yeah, I mean, it was literally a phone call and him and Bob Murray were going back and forth and, and all of those things. I just, he's, he's, he's one of my favorite all time players mm. um, for a lot of different reasons, not just because of where he grew up, but just again, just the role of being an ultimate leader the ultimate teammate and how hard he played the game. He just never took a night off. So, um, yeah, I got a lot of time for Getsy and <laughs> it was a fun conversation. When you look at the rest of the Western conference right now and how wide open it seems to be as we move towards the end of the season, what teams have you been keeping your eye on as they make that final push? Yeah, I mean, a few of them, to be fair. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Vegas has gone through so much turmoil with the uncertainty of, of Mark Stone. Uh, I thought Kelly McCrimmon did a nice job around the trade deadline, and it's already paying dividends with Barbashev having a couple of nice games. They bring in Jonathan Quick, so mm -hmm. that should kind of eliminate, at least in some respects, the, the question of goaltending. You know, you look at the Colorado Avalanche, even though this team has been up against it with injury all season long, they just feel like a great story and no different than the story that's already been told with the Tampa Lightning in the East winning back to back. I'm in the camp that believes that they have, they have a chance and, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to get better here moving forward. If they get Gabe Landeskog back at the end of the regular season in time for the playoffs, I mean, that's another huge shot in the arm there. Uh, and then beyond that, um, you know, I'm watching the Dallas Stars. They had a real good stretch, you know, earlier in the season of late. They're in a bit of a funk. I'm not sure what's going on there. They need to figure it out. But, I, you know, Pete DeBoer and the Dallas Stars are formidable. I think that uh, they're a decent story. I mean, are we ever going to get enough of Connor McDavid? <laughs> I don't I don't think so. Right. Um, I watched that Edmonton-Buffalo, most of it, uh, the game last night. I mean, he scored 53 and 54, just a ho-hum you know, two goal performance by McDavid, you know, Leon Dreisaitl has been on a heater in the last few games. So, I mean, any direction you want to go, but that's, that's kind of what makes the Western conference so much fun for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all in awe of what's going on with the Boston Bruins in the East. And we can see what, you know, Toronto should be doing based on what they added and the New York Rangers got better and what's up with Tampa Bay and all of that, but it's so much more wide open for a change in the Western conference that anyone who says, well, this team is the obvious favorite. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's watch a few more games and see if that changes. It's going to be interesting, too, once we get to the playoffs and see who comes out of the West. It's Are they going to be more refreshed than the team in the East? Because it's going to be such a dogfight in the East. Well, yeah, that could be the case. But if that is the case, then that's unusual. Because, mm. you know, no matter who qualifies for the playoffs in, in the Western Conference, those best of sevens are always battles mm -hmm. and it's hard news, uh, hard nose, heavy hockey. That's, that's just the style of play. And it's not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch mm -hmm. of the imagination in the East. <laughs> I mean, the mental warfare might be as taxing as the, the physical battles in the East. You know, right now it, it looks like the Boston Bruins are just unbeatable. 
Um, mm -hmm. I mean, as we're having this conversation, they've only lost eight times. Right. I mean, they've surpassed the 100 point barrier. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous what's going on in Boston. And I would think that that might be a little bit unnerving for some teams in the East. Toronto kind of takes a step forward. Then they take a step back. Uh, you know, they've got some injury issues now with Ryan O'Reilly and John Tavares may not play this week. Um, the team that would spook me, aside from the Boston Bruins in the East, is the Carolina Hurricanes. Mm. You know, they didn't do much of anything. I mean, they brought in Shane Gostisbehere at the trade deadline and he goes out and has a big night. So clearly he's motivated to, to uh, get into a deep playoff run. So I, I think that those teams are so evenly matched that it's going to be a different type of battle in the East, but it's going to be a significant one, no question. And Timo Meyer going to the New Jersey Devils, they oh, added yeah. a great piece in him too. Do you think that that will help them in their push? Yeah, for sure it will. And as, as daunting as the New Jersey Devils might be now with adding Timo Meyer uh, and Curtis Lazar when he gets through immigration, I like that pickup too, by the way. He's just a real good competitive, high-character, fourth-line guy. Um, but in Timo Meyer, you just you, you add a special piece. You do. You know, it was curious to me, again, in following the Timo Meyer sweepstakes with the San Jose Sharks, you know, people speculate, well, I wonder if this team is interested or that team should be interested. I mean, anytime you've got availability of a top six winger who scores 30 or more goals, you darn well better be interested <laughs> if you're a team that's trying to go deep into the playoffs. But New Jersey is is a good team, I, and, and they're just getting better. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just about what the Devils might do this year. I mean, that's there, there's a fair level of expectation, as you'd expect that there would be. Um, but they're, they're trending up at the right time. I mean, Jack Hughes is just coming into his own now. Mm -hmm. He's getting stronger so he can hold the puck more. You know, his shot is heavier than it was. I mean, he just works incredibly hard. Jesper Bratt. You know, curious to see what becomes of him. You know, when you bring in Timo Meyer, the obvious goes along with that. And, you know, you're going to have to negotiate a contract extension, and that's going to be heavy lifting as well. But the intention of Tom Fitzgerald and the New Jersey Devils is try and keep both those guys, Timo Meyer and Jesper Bratt. So this is a team that we're going to watch for a long time because they're built to win. And, uh, or at least contend. I'll say that they're built to contend and they may contend for a long time. Another team that I'm interested in right now is the Ottawa senators. They picked up Jacob Chikrin at the deadline, a name that we've been waiting to see for a long time to see where he would yeah. end up, but they're also going through the potential sale of their team as well too. So mm. a little bit of off ice things happening in the organization. Do you think that they're going to be able to remain focused enough to potentially make a run for that postseason spot in the wild card? Well, it looked like it, and then they got slapped around. I mean, they were on such a good run. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that their last game is a blip. I don't think that, you know, they're going to go into a skid here. Um, the leadership of this team is as good as any in the business. And, and that, you know, it obviously starts with the captain, Brady Kachuk. But to bring in Claude Giroux with all the experience that he has was, was a perfect addition in the offseason by Pierre Dorian because – Giroux still has plenty of game. We can see that. I mean, he's having a heck of a season point-wise, but it's everything else that he brings to that group. <clears throat> Again, helping Brady carry some of the leadership load, you know, in the dressing room, on the bench, during practice, in games mm -hmm. when things get tense, all of that. So 
the character of this team, which was inflated now again by adding another good guy in, in Jacob Chikrin, is just that much stronger. So right. they're going to do everything they can do to keep it interesting in terms of that playoff march, but it looks like they still need a little bit of help. Well, Darren, before I let you go, I have to ask, when you're not busy covering hockey, what are some things you like to enjoy uh, outside of the sport? Mm, <laughs> it's a good question. Well, sn bl blowing snow is not one of them. I, <laughs> I, I didn't mind the exercise, but uh, that aside, uh, I like to play golf. I don't play golf as much as I used to anymore because the season has gotten that much longer. And I actually have a property in Western Canada, mm. uh, waterfront. So we do a lot, my son and I do a ton of fishing and, and things like that. So nothing crazy or wild anymore. Those days are probably best behind me, but I try, try and get outdoors as much as possible. Darren Drager, thank you so much for joining us here on Light the Lamp. All right. Thanks for having me. It's time for my final quack for this show, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the episode. There will not be a show on Friday, as I'm going to be heading out of town. But make sure to tune in to the Ducks Road Game tonight in Vancouver, and then Friday in Calgary, 7 p.m. in Vancouver, and 6 p.m. in Calgary on Friday, right here on DuckStream. Pre-game begins a half hour before that, so 6.30 and then 5.30. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next time for more hockey talk right here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.